The Outline, World Dispatch. Tuesday, July 11th, 2017. I'm John Lago Marcino. Today on The Dispatch, Alex Nichols on the demise of the unconservative website Heat Street. It had very little going for it. It was sort of on the way out for a while. Gabby Del Valle on Medicaid. Just 1.2 million disabled children will have their medical expenses fully paid for by the federal government. And William Turton on bad behavior in Silicon Valley. They have to like complain and write these like bizarre missives. Here's the dispatch. Culture. As of August 4th, Heat Street, a right-wing news outlet featuring some of the web's most scintillating headlines, will be no more. According to a statement from Heat Street's parent company, Dow Jones, Heat Street will be, quote, restructured under the Market Watch umbrella with the goal of strengthening cultural, entertainment, and gaming coverage, end quote. Alex Nichols wrote about Heat Street for The Outline yesterday. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good, how are you? Great, thanks. Um, so tell me, what is, or I guess what was, Heat Street? Heat Street is, it, it's still online at the moment, but it's closing down at the end of the month. Heat Street is a conservative website owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. It was founded last year by Noah Koch and Louise Mensch, who's now most notable as a crazy person on Twitter. <laughs> and it was very youth-oriented. It was trying to tap into a sort of backlash to social justice, to a, young, a set of young conservatives that was very concerned about issues in video games and social media and superhero movies and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and it's fallen into trouble recently, uh, and it's going to be shut down next month. Uh, what led up to that? Well, the, f- the, the management has sort of been in flux for a while. Both founders, Louise Mensch and Noah Koch, have left. Louise Mensch left only six months in. The content was very bare bones, very meager, it had very little going for it. It was sort of on the way out for a while. So what were, what were some of these stories like? Usually they were like social justice warriors are triggered by Twitter meltdown or whatever. And it was like, you know, two tweets embedded in half a paragraph. There wasn't much there. So, so the general bent was like social justice warrior, Gamergate adjacent stuff? Basically, I think it was, yeah, it was founded explicitly in reaction to Gamergate, it had a lot of pro-Gamergate coverage. And Gamergate, I guess we should clarify, was something of a movement, I guess? Is that what you would call it? Yeah, it was a general amorphous movement of gamers who were concerned about social justice creeping into game journalism. And it led to a lot of harassment of game journalists and a lot of terrible posts. So Ian Chong most recently uh, was running parts of the site, and he had a really specific relationship to Gamergate. Is that right? Yeah, he was one of the most prominent Gamergate critics. He took a lot of heat back in the day in 2014, 2015 for frequently writing articles and making tweets that were very angry at Gamergate. And then he changed his tune gradually and became pretty much the exact opposite. So in the wake of this, what is the future of of young right-wing media look like? Well, I think if they want to have any lasting media properties in this sort of paradigm, they're going to have to put some more effort in. 
they're going to have to do original coverage. They're going to have to do more than just embed a couple tweets and have 150 word articles about obscure news stories. Yeah, I guess this is kind of what all online media is battling right now. Uh, it, this one just happens to be right wing. Yeah, it's definitely not unique to Heat Street. It's it suffered from a lot of the problems of many online media startups. Yeah, are there any right wing uh, websites for this demographic that are making it? Well, I mentioned in the article Reason Magazine, which is not not a new startup, but it, it is um, it's libertarian and it's uh, very critical of campus politics and. Uh, leftism in a way that's not as gimmicky and clickbaity. That's it's more well thought out. And even though I don't agree with a lot of what they write about, it has it writes in a way that has a lot more staying power than this kind of uh, facile uh, clickbait. Do you see former readers of Heat Street seeking out more thoughtful coverage like that? Maybe some of them. I don't think many readers of Heat Street are going to seek out anything to read in particular. I think a lot of the appeal for a lot of the readership was just reading the headlines and imagining what the headlines would be about and just going on their merry way. And having something to share on Facebook. Yeah, it was very, uh, it it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of in-depth coverage. It was just very, you look at the headline, you get mad at the headline, you move on. I guess that's where we are now. I guess so. All right, Alex, thanks so much. Thank you. Power. Four million. That's the number of disabled children who might lose Medicaid coverage under the new health care bill. There are an estimated 5 to 6 million disabled children enrolled in Medicaid right now, and the majority of them won't be eligible for disability benefits under the proposed Senate health care bill, which is still being negotiated. The bill would transform Medicaid from an open-ended entitlement to a program in which each recipient has a fixed amount of money to put toward their medical bills. But it makes an exception for a select number of children who meet a narrow, quote, blind or disabled requirement. Under the proposed bill, just 1.2 million disabled children will have their medical expenses fully paid for by the federal government. Disabled children who qualify for Medicaid but don't meet the requirements will still be partially covered, but they'll receive the same amount of funding as non-disabled children enrolled in Medicaid, even though their medical bills are typically higher. Experts told The Washington Post that these limitations will place severe financial burdens on low-income families whose children are disabled but who are unable to meet the disability requirements imposed by the bill. This version of the bill isn't final, however, and a Republican Senate aide told The Post that several conservative lawmakers want to exempt all disabled children from the spending limits. We'll be right back. The future. According to emails obtained by Axios this past Sunday night, Jonathan Teo, the co-founder and managing partner of Silicon Valley venture capital firm Binary Capital, slammed the, quote, corrupted media just two weeks after his partner Justin Caldbeck resigned over sexual harassment allegations. Uh, William Turton is here with me now to talk about that. Uh, William, what is up with Jonathan Teo? Hey, 
So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that Teo is slamming the corrupt media in this email that he sent to CEOs of the companies that Binary Capital has invested in. You know, when this story broke a couple weeks ago, it was broken by this online outlet called The Information, which kind of specializes in Silicon Valley coverage. And in that story, six women claimed that Caldbeck had sexually harassed them. Um, and his first response to this story was... Caldbeck's response? Caldbeck's response was, you know, this information story is an attack on my character, mm. and it's wrong. And then a few days later, you know, he apologized for the stuff that he did. Um, so it's amazing that Teo will now talk about, you know, this corrupt media when two weeks ago his partner was openly lying to the media. So, so what's in this letter? So this letter is kind of like reassuring CEOs that Binary has invested in, where the company kind of stands. Um, so at some point he talks about, you know, how they're operating in this limited capacity now. They're not, you know, kind of, fun, you know, looking for new companies to invest in in the same way that they were before. How many companies have they invested in? So they've invested in 14 companies. Um, and so he's reassuring people involved in these companies in this letter, but he's also kind of like theorizing about the culture of the Valley and kind of going in all these really weird and bizarre directions that don't really have anything to do with the topic at hand. Was this, was this letter written under duress, I imagine? It feels like it. Honestly, it kind of felt like this letter was written in the same kind of tone and style that you would have if you were venting through, like, a close friend or maybe, like, a therapist. You know, he talks about how Silicon Valley is full of this, quote, industry full of entitled human beings, which is just kind of a weird thing to be discussing. And Doesn't seem germane know. to the to his uh, exit. Right. It's just, it kind of, it honestly, reading it for the first time for me, it just really came out of left field um, because it just felt so all over the place. Well, is this kind of an indication of a problem with Valley culture? I mean, maybe not in the way that he thinks. <laughs> totally. I mean, people, there's so many, you know, rich and influential people like this guy, you know, he's at the top of a venture capital firm who just can't take responsibility and can't put their head down and shut up and actually, like, fix huge problems. They have to, like, complain and write these, like, bizarre missives that, like, are barely strung together. Are we going to get one of these from Travis Kalanick at some point, too? No, I think Travis is in hiding for the rest of his life. Well, that's probably not true. He's still on the board of Uber. So there's, you know, the devastating effects of the mind of Travis Kalanick will probably forever be entrenched within Silicon Valley. So that's something we can all look forward to. That concludes The Dispatch. If you like what you hear, we do this four times a week, Monday through Thursday. You can subscribe to the Outline World Dispatch and get us every morning on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere else you find podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. I'm John Lago Marcino. More stories tomorrow.